0: live in prague
1: correct yes i was born and raised in washington dc and then i traveled many many places and and have currently ended up in prague for for the moment my wife is czech
0: oh okay great
1: yeah but i lived in yeah i went to school in washington dc north carolina iowa san francisco and then Taught in Ohio, North Carolina, and the United Arab Emirates.
0: Oh my and God!
1: Now in Prague. Okay. <laughs> yes, I try my best not to talk about the United Arab Emirates.
0: Yeah, I have some questions as an Israeli. I mean, I I have two citizenships. One is Israeli. I'm not even sure I can get in there. I have I have to check it. But no. Yeah.
1: No. Cause, right. Because when I was there, I was not allowed to visit Israel.
0: Right, so I can yeah.
1: Well, technically, we'll call it not allowed, but like they would do the separate piece of paper and stamp it and you put it in your passport while you're there and then when you leave, you take the loose piece of paper out so you still can go there. But no, I. But- if if I was in the United Arab Emirates and I traveled to Israel and they stamped my passport with Israel, I would not be allowed back into the United Arab Emirates. Right. Which I should-
0: <laughs> Yes, I can imagine.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was a a lovely job. I enjoyed it. And I'm happy I got out of there without being arrested.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And as a woman, I would be even more nervous to go to those places. Or maybe less. I mean, who knows?
1: I'll tell you, my wife said she felt the safest she's ever felt in her life there because... There was very little crime, if any. And, and as a woman, she, she could do whatever she needed. She didn't feel ogled. She didn't feel harassed. She didn't feel any of that kind of stuff. On the other hand, but she also didn't have many rights and other kinds of issues like this. So there's a balancing act right? She,
0: and, and also she's a visitor, you know. And yes. not, doesn't have to live her life.
1: Yes. The only place she ever had to wear the Shayla and Abaya was in government offices and... Uh, other than that she could wear anything she wanted because yeah as a a Western
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah I know it was an interesting (sighs) job as I said I'm happy I got out of there without being arrested yes (laughs) well a friend a co-worker of mine was arrested and was really thrown, thrown in prison and deported because of something they posted on Facebook
0: while they were there
1: yes Without
0: even being, like, a citizen of the Emirate. Just for being there and,
1: yeah. Well, no, she was an employee. Well, let's see. Her husband was an employee at the university where I was teaching. She was doing part-time teaching. And she posted something on Facebook. They arrested her, threw her in prison, and then deported her. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to those places. No. I'm just... There's enough to deal with in our lives anyway between the pandemic and being Israeli and... And every the global warming, it's enough, you know?
1: It, it, yeah, and that's why I chose to leave. I was just like, right, this is right. too much. This is right. It's its stuff I shouldn't have to be worrying about on exactly. a daily basis. And
0: you have other things. We have a nice list, each and every one of us.
1: Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, let's get back a step. So I okay. generally start off with something simple, which is, could you please pronounce your name correctly for me?
0: Sure. My name is Eleanor Koboji.
1: And you come from Israel, as we've already discussed, and you moved to New York. So like, one of the things I love to know about people is sort of like how they got created in the first place. So how does a creative person, was it your parents' influence? Was it some schooling? Like what sort of drew you to being creative as a career?
0: I was in the arts from a very young age. So I was playing classical piano from the age of five to 18. And... I think, yeah, my parents, my mom is a kind of a typical Jewish mama who everything we did, me or my brother, she was like, the kids are creating, So, but she was also putting a lot of pressure, everything we did, especially me, I was the firstborn, I had to be, you know, do it very well and think about the top of my field when I'm like five years old playing the piano. That was the good and the bad of it. She was very supportive. I got excellent education, even though I come from a Mizrahi background, which is the Jewish people who came to Israel from the Arab and the Mediterranean countries Mm -hmm. and not from Europe. I grew up with a lot of this culture of, I mean, my mother is Bukhari from Uzbekistan. My father is from Morocco and Syria. So a lot of warmth and intensity and talking about everything. But she raised me in terms of education with a Western education, classical music, and then later on when i was a teenager i studied acting and drama for 2 years and then at around 15 16 i arrived to photography just one day so i was already surrounded by the art i was already in art high school i already tasted the the taste of being mediocre especially with music i was good but not amazing not good enough to be a solo pianist so when i discovered photography And it started by photographing my mom. I got hooked and very passionate about it immediately. And I was not old. I was 16. But I knew because of acting and music that this has never felt like this before. And I felt like this is something I'm obsessed with. This is something I can do 24-7. And there is just so much more. And I mainly photographed my mom in the first few weeks of taking pictures. And I felt... I can see her more and understand her more. And it's just a different me when I'm taking pictures, mm-hmm. the way I react and understand and feel and connect is so much deeper and, and stronger that I just want to be this person. I want to be the, this Eleanor, the photographer, even before I knew so much about them. But then I became serious and started learning it and did the Israeli army, Got went to Betel El Academy of Art, after two years in the Israeli army, for, and did my BFA and moved to New York.
1: I'm sorry, did you just skip over being in the army really fast?
0: Oh, the army is mandatory for all Israelis. It's two years for women and three for men. That's how it was in my time. I know it's changing. So, yes, <laughs> you oh. have to do it. Yeah, yeah. It was a pretty good preparation for the art world in New York. Let me tell you this. <laughs> It toughened
1: me up. Oh, yeah. I had a friend of mine when I was growing up. He was a French citizen. His parents, I don't even know. I have no idea. it was all very convoluted. But his parents were French. He was French. And he came to the United States in order to not serve in the military. So he stayed in, and ended up getting married and all this. And he's still in the United States. But, I mean, I know people that have basically avoided that mandatory thing by staying out of the country for long periods of time.
0: You can't do it in Israel, because when you'll come back, you'll have to do it. You can avoid the army, which I didn't want to do. I mean, not that I enjoyed. First of all, the army gave me a lot. It gave me a lot. Matured me, taught me how to deal with different people from different spectrums of the Israeli society, made me more independent. I had to learn how to take care of myself in different systems. And... I don't regret, even though while being there, I hated some of it. I don't regret doing it. I think it's not a bad idea that everyone in each country has to do something for the country. Sorry to sound like so patriotic. Even though I didn't love being in the army, I think it's not fair. I think maybe in America, people should do one year, not in the army, but to help somehow to give back to the community. So.
1: I support the idea of giving back to the country in some way. I'm all for that, but I'm not a super fan of armed forces.
0: Right. I mean, I think it's a little different in Israel because it's not always a choice war as opposed to America. But this, if we will start this discussion right now, because some wars could be avoidable, will not end, and you will not be able to air this uh, conversation. So let's not go there.
1: Fair enough. I generally stay away from religion and politics, which right. are, of course, the two thing topics we just started with. So, we I guess so sh- Well, my father's a, a reverend, a priest, whatever, uh, Episcopal, and so oh, wow. I generally try to stay away from that, and I grew up in Washington, D.C., so I'm pretty sick and tired <laughs> of politics as well, right. so... Yeah, I I try to. There the, the, it's there are topics that like there's no you're not going to sway anybody else's opinion. So all you're just right. going to do is just say your opinion, and everybody's going to go, "That's nice." I'm not. Yeah, now my that opinion. we need
0: to, now that we need to, I I wish we could talk more with more, you know, understanding and accepting and patient to one another. No one needs to change anyone's mind in most cases. But it's sometimes difficult.
1: Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm very accepting of all the different right. things, right. but but I I'm fully aware that nobody's going to I'm nobody's going to make me a Republican because they've spoken with me some right. some passion kind of things. So right, it's not that's sway true. My opinions. That's true. Just to be clear, I am democratic. Just
0: no, of you know, course, me too, and I'm a liberal. But I do feel we have to. – I'm Sorry to sound so maybe cheesy. The fact that I will not turn into a Republican doesn't mean I can't listen and understand some of what the other side is saying. And maybe we can each have different choices about our lives and respect each other's choices. I think it's so important. And I.
1: Yeah, yeah. There are certain parts of the Republican belief system that I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, I can, I can sign on for that but the, it's only like maybe 5% of their beliefs. Oh, yeah. So, so it, it's not enough to be no, like, yes. No, not enough, yes. No, never is enough. All right, so you ended up going to New York where you currently yeah. are and you have now been since 1995, if I read right. correctly on your website. Um, but, but okay, something that, totally changed of topic, but even though I just started on a topic, but. I was looking through your website and I noticed this thing, that, and we all do this. This is the thing, it's like, I do this on my website. Almost every artist I know does this on the website. We need to do this, like, we need to propose things for grants and residencies and publishing and art statements and all this kind of stuff. And then we build these websites and we don't put text on our websites. We just put the pictures and right. that's enough. People should understand what we do because the pictures say everything. Why do we do that? (laughs) Because I do the same thing.
0: I actually don't have a good answer. I should change it because there is a text for each of the bodies of work. So you just gave me homework. We're five (laughs) minutes into the podcast.
1: It was not my intention. Thank you very much, Matthew. Not my intention.
0: Yeah. No, I think text is really important. And
1: I put months of
0: writing the essays for each of my books so I, they, it should be there. It's, it's not like a choice that I'm, you know, I have anything. It's probably just not planning the website correctly. That's the answer.
1: <laughs> we all do it, though. Everybody I know, everybody I know's website like has the least amount of text possible and the most amount of imagery and as big as possible. We all do it. Right. But right. but it leads to the point of like this is a general gripe of mine, sort of like thing that like I'm really kind of tired of the amount of text that we are obligated to write these days it feels like of course it's more now than in the past but maybe i just wasn't doing it in the past no no no
0: it is it, it definitely i feel the same it's more and i think some of it comes because we're trying to work harder to distinguish ourselves from the masses of images that exist out there and you and I are not 21, so we remember the time where a professional photographer was the one that could take a lot of pictures, and now everybody's taking pictures and have an Instagram. And so I think a lot of the text came with this, like, I am serious. This is a body of work. And, you know, trying to distinguish ourselves from the masses of people who are photographing and the cameras on the phones are getting better and better. So I think the text is, is part of it. And also the MFA programs and all that came with, with that and what it is to be an artist and how our voice and what we have to say become important and also a way to distinguish yourself. I'm not just taking pretty pictures. Hopefully they're pretty. I want to say something politically about the humankind, about relationships in my case. Or, and so the text become an important part of our identity.
1: And don't get me wrong, text is a great opportunity to add context to right. a series or a body of works. And I, I totally understand the benefit of that. But fuck, I have to write so much. I mean, you have to write artist bios, you have to write artist statements, then you have to write residency grants, and then you have to write like proposals for this. And and it gets exhausting trying to like come up with something again, like like you're saying, like original and new and unique and i'm like it's my ideas are not necessarily all that original and new and unique they're just done in a new way but the ideas are you know eternal human issues kind of things it's 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 exhausting to try to figure out how to approach it in a new way to make people think it's something new
0: (laughs) right right i mean but on the other hand I think sometimes when I'm forced to write about something and elaborate and define exactly what I'm doing, it does influence my work somehow. Um, So the process of writing, even though it doesn't come naturally to me, and especially English is not my first language, but it forces me to to dig into the corners of my brain and Find out what it is that I really feel and think or what it is that I photographed if it's referring to an assignment or a body of work. And then somehow it affects the way that I'm taking pictures, the way that I'll edit those pictures and sequence them and edit out some of them. So as much as I hate it, sometimes I feel it's like, I feel like I'm in high school and I got homework and I hate it and I just want to get it over with. And it takes me, it takes me so much time to, to write but then I feel that it 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 gave me a lot the process and and the text itself and going to the process of finding what I want to write what I have to say it kind of confront me with my own brain and psyche and emotions in a way that can be beneficial as artists as visual artists.
1: Well, okay. Do you when you're doing your let's say you, so we're going to generally keep this more towards your personal body of work your editorial work great but that's not really what the podcast is about so. Personal works, your fine artworks, kind of stuff. When you're working, so like, do you come, is a text what inspires the work, or do you make imagery first and then sort of figure out a way to fit it all together later?
0: This is what's happening now. It's mainly the images, and they come from, I mean, I have concepts, and what I do, and sometimes it's just to combat my own, let's call it laziness, I do a list of things I want to photograph. So let's say in midlife, once I realize I'm, I'm working on, on the, the body of work I've been working on without knowing is actually about being middle-aged, I was like, okay, this project is going to be called Midlife. And that was like two, three years after I photographed the blood paintings and my own universe and that. And then I'm making lists. And the lists are different things and themes or, and it's on my phone or if I'll go see a TV show or... I'm what I'm in the subway and I'm thinking about something I'll it to the list as things to photograph. But because I'm so dreading writing the text for the body of work, I came up with a habit of collecting written materials. So I have a folder in my phone and I'll just write notes and sentences. So when the time comes and this body of work is going out of the world, I'm not sitting in front of a blank page. And so This kind of mean a lot of what I do comes out of fear. So this is coming out of fear. I'm writing about my work out of the fear of one day having to write the essay. So, And it's helpful, you know, then I have sometimes 2,000 words when I'm coming to write because I wrote over the years and I'm writing, but I'm not sitting down to seriously write. I'm like writing thoughts and paragraphs. I can be in the gym and just writing something.
1: Well, do you ever use other writers to help you because like I'm in Europe now and a lot of people here talk about having curators either write for you or either assist you in your writing of your statements. Do you do them all yourself or do you have any outside help?
0: I know I do them myself but then before I might ask for help and again especially because English is not my first language with a copy editing but even with a copy editing I had editors, or friends over the years who said, Eleanor, this sounds a little awkward, but it sounds like you. So many times they will, I mean, there are certain mistakes that we need to, to fix and correct, but many times they will kind of leave it because I'm not a writer. I'm not supposed to be the best writer. I'm supposed to write a text. I see my text as a key. I see it like a very precious key that I give the viewers And inviting them in, like, this is what I'm trying to do. This is how, I don't want to tell you how to win my work, but I want to give you some ideas, some direction. And I, I call it some keys for the different images. And so sometimes, you know, even though I get help, people will still say, we worked on it a little bit, but let's keep it so it sounds like you an immigrant from Israel and it's not like... Perfectly, quote unquote,
1: written. Oh, I get criticized all the time for my writing. Everybody, <laughs> from my father to all my teachers in school, always said your writing sounds like how you talk,
0: which is great, and and isn't I, it a compliment? <laughs> I
1: well, that's the thing. I always took that as like great. It's you know, common voice. It always Authentic, sounds just like me. Yeah. and they're they're like, no, it, it needs to sound like the written word, and I'm like but isn't the written word just supposed to represent my personality and my style. And so that fits. And I believe that like now my written word style probably would be uh, admired and respected kind of thing. But when I was a kid, when they were training me and teaching me, I was totally wrong on it.
0: I mean, I even see it now with my kids because they're in high school and they're writing things. And when I'm trying to give them ideas or they're like, mom, this is not how you write. And I'm like, just have your voice be heard but I think there is right writing and there is trying to put your voice on into words on paper and and you know what you feel is what you need to write when you're 17 16 18 and then I am 50 I've been doing photography since I was 15 and this is what I think so sometimes with age comes like this is my voice this is what I think this is how i I'm trying to, and again, I'm working on those essays and things for months, but some of it will feel like you or like me or like our, like the way we speak and think.
1: I would hope so, because again, it gives a little bit more character and a little bit more context. So it's maybe a little bit like inside their your mind kind of thing, like you know, how your little rabbit brain runs around right. and connects the dots and stuff like this. But yet I still feel the obligation to try to meet sort of some unknown standard of like proper written English.
0: Right. No, me too. And I have a better excuse because I'm an immigrant than you. So I can always say English is not my first language. and That's why it sounds weird. But it's not really. I mean, my kids are the ones who caught me. They're like, mom, you blame everything for being Israeli and everything for being an immigrant. And it's not always the case. So I'm like don't expose me guys like let me have my <laughs> my excuses or my you know easy way out but I guess I guess I never know what is because I'm thinking in Hebrew dreaming in Hebrew or maybe even not after so many years and what is really me and who, who am I am I the Israel Israeli or the American Eleanor, what's in between like part of the struggle of, of having two identities, two homelands, two cultures.
1: I have to tell you the funniest story ever. I had this friend of mine He was when we were in high school. His name was Spud, but he, his name was Paul Willis, but he went by Spud. But he bought this shirt at a secondhand store, blue shirt, yellow Hebrew lettering on the front of it. That's all. He didn't know what it was. It was a secondhand store. He's like, yeah, it's a fun shirt. It's got some fun characters on it. He wore it for years, five, six years, and then suddenly he was walking through New York wearing this shirt, and this old Jewish man comes up to him and he just goes, damn straight. And he's like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, your shirt, it says Meshuggahna, crazy person, damn straight. (laughs) And so he'd been wearing the shirt that said crazy person for five years, didn't even know it.
0: (laughs) I would never do it because I'm like sensitive, I would immediately find out if it's not my language.
1: No, he had no idea what it said for five years and then he found out and said crazy person. I love it. <laughs> All right. So some of the things that jumped out at me when I was looking through your, your extensive CV, which by the way, like kudos, you have an amazing career behind you already. So tip of Thank the you. hat to you for that. <laughs> so you. one of the things was Guggenheim Fellowship. That I mean, everybody wants a Guggenheim Fellowship. How did you pull that off?
0: <laughs> I mean, I was 20, 29 when I applied, 30 when I got it. Actually, talking about texts, let me tell you a story. So I applied and I, I had an American friend who helped me write the, the proposal. I was like, no, we don't, I don't want to write and I don't want to mislead And it ended up being... Pretty short, like half a page and very straightforward, very straightforward. And he said, if you'll get the Guggenheim, I will get the Nobel Prize. And so I think I was very honest. But who knows if, it, if they gave me the Guggenheim in spite of my text or because of my, like, I don't know. When I got the letter, it was a little confusing to me. I was like, I, I can't believe this. And I was home alone. I took the letter, I went out to the street and I just looked for someone, I I got a man with glasses that seemed like smart and I was like, excuse me, sir, can you read this to me? I applied to this fellowship, I'm not sure. And he looked at the letter and he said, you received it, young lady, congratulations. So he was the first person I shared the good news with and I was just really grateful and, and honored. I wasn't even a citizen yet, I was on my green card.
1: So it's just dumb luck, huh?
0: Or that my work is very, very good, Matthew.
1: Well, I see. I'm under the assumption. I apologize if that sounded condescending. <laughs> but like I'm under the assumption that pretty much everybody that submits for that for particularly that level of a thing is already doing really good work so you know it's basically for them i would imagine i would love to get somebody from that committee like on the podcast like how i would love
0: to know who was in the committee i don't even know it is a little bit
1: mysterious isn't
0: it yeah you don't know as opposed to some other competitions you don't know who who the people are i don't know
1: Hmm. But I would love to know, like, I mean, because they, they already get high caliber stuff. So it's it's like what differentiates one project over another, like what gives it more points or more credibility or whatever? Like, that's one of the things that really sort of frustrates me about the arts world across the board is is that like you, you, there, anytime you apply or approach or try anything, you get only two answers, which is yes or no. Right. But if the answer is yes you have no idea why the answer was yes. And if you get no, you are also never told why the answer is no. So you don't know what you've done right and you also don't know what you've done wrong. So how are you supposed to get better?
0: That's very, very true. It's less true. It's also true in America because in Israel, people are more, some people would say rude. They're much more straightforward. I mean, I had some meetings before I moved to America with curators or and they were looking at me, some one of them looked at my work and said you have absolutely no talent the only reason those images are good is because your mother is beautiful and i was like okay i know what he thinks i don't know what's better or worse and after i moved to america and i got some people telling me the work is great it's not for us right now but please keep in touch i believed they're planning it for next year I was like, I would call my mom and say, I think they're going to show the work. They said the work is really good to keep in touch. But this is an American no. This is an American way. And I don't know, I'm not criticizing it. I'm not saying one is better than the other.
1: I, I will criticize it.
0: Okay, you go ahead, please. Yeah,
1: I'll, I'll criticize it. I think, I believe at this point, I think like, it, you know, artists, we need to have a little bit of a thick skin. And so like, right. them, them like, placating us and just being polite and all that it's not helpful it's not useful like i mean actual feedback of no we don't want to represent you like that it's amazing it closes that door done don't have to worry about them don't have to keep going to their events trying to think they might want to represent me someday in the future if they just say no i would love that i mean yes and no are so clear cut but like the oh you make beautiful work but not right now like eh.
0: And I think it even made its way its way to to schools where, if you're being very straightforward and kind of more harshly critiquing the work, students can complain sometimes. And I had cases like this, or saying that it's feels like there it's an unsafe space, which is a completely different thing to feel unsafe. If I'm talking about things that are personal or who they are their race or gender or but if i'm talking about their work and the the unsafe space that came up a few times in the last few years is just sometimes used as their inability to deal with very honest and then i have to deal with the school and the meeting and i I know it's, and it is something that makes us a little paranoid artists because we never know what we're told. And even among friends, it's not always easy to, to be completely honest. So I developed a very, very critical, almost cruel. There is the me who is taking pictures, trying to not be critical when I'm taking them because it's so paralyzing and to just photograph everything and be forgiven to my many bad and mediocre images along the way of trying to make good work. But when I'm looking at the work, not photographing, not creating, I am always being very critical, trying to think if this is original, if this is deep enough, if this is visibly interesting. And I am a harsh critic, but it makes me miserable at times, you know? It's not easy, it's not easy.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I have been called into the dean's office or even the president of the school's office on numerous occasions for being too critical and too harsh, according to students as well. I find it odd. Uh, it, it feels like a little bit like that snowflakey kind of like generation. Like they're maybe a little overly sensitive to a certain issues. That I mean, the if if there's an issue that's brought up in a critique. Like, so I'm, I'm thinking specifically like a critique session in a classroom. If there's an issue that's brought up and the person feels uncomfortable about it or too overly sensitive about it, well, they need to work on that because it's not going to go away because if they continue to make work about that same topic, these same conversations are going to come up again and again. So like the ability to work through these problems and these issues is more important to me than pandering to them and saying like oh i'm so sorry that i offended you in some way like no we're all going to get offended throughout our careers by somebody about something and you just got to learn how to deal with that instead of complaining to mommy and daddy about it
0: right as long as your professor is respectful and talking about the work and talking about and i do have to say i feel i'm i'm trying to I'm trying because sometimes I do the same thing to avoid generalizing this generation, because I feel that every generation have the students or the young artists that are willing to work hard and willing to listen to criticism and the ones who find different excuses. And in my generation, it was just a different set of excuses of the ones who couldn't handle or didn't want to, or their egos were too big to to listen to what the, the teachers were saying. So I think it's the same now. It's just that what they're saying as students changed over the years. The safe space in Israel when I was going to Bezalel, you know, please. Our our teachers were really, really uh, cruel sometimes, very harsh, very strict. And it was very difficult to some. And some people stopped taking pictures. And I feel that some of it maybe was unnecessary some of it maybe was sexist but some of it had me dealing with people who rejected my work and thought it was not good and then if it's important enough for me i should go on and the road of an artist is lonely and and this is it i mean you can talk about community blah blah blah. Not that I don't have friends or places where I teach and people who care about me, but at the end of the day, especially as artists, we're not filmmakers, it's not the teamwork, it's our work and it's you and your work and how much you're committed to it to making it better to continue making new projects and new work and to challenge yourself and to accept that sometimes you'll do work that is not good sometimes you'll do work that some people will not like and others will and you have to do it you can get some support i have a supporting husband but it's 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 a little lonely at the end of the day
1: it is lonely and it's funny because i just had this conversation with a friend of mine the other night which was the independent process of producing artwork is an incredibly romantic independent thing you right. go into your studio you do whatever drink coffee smoke cigarettes whatever you do kind of thing you know you do yeah. your thing but the part of the industry that we don't really talk a lot about is the after the work has been produced how do you get it to the whoever so you get it to the institution or the publisher or the gallery or the curator very like hard kept, yeah that's the element that I'm like, okay, I, don't, I have no idea how that works.
0: It's very hard. It's very, very, very hard. And it requires dealing with a lot of rejection. And, you know, I, I many times feel that it just uh, it's just like going to the gym. You know, it's sometimes I don't, when I'm doing, when I'm creating the work, again, it's the separation. It's one thing when i'm trying to get it into shows publications magazines i can be very discouraged offended hurt it doesn't matter i wake up in the morning and i continue and again and again and again and when the good days happen and they're more rare there are more rejections and saying no to you and but when something good is happening i learn to really Really fill my batteries with it, and 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 appreciate it, and celebrate it, and you know let myself enjoy it because it will last a little bit, and then it's continuing the specific way of writing to the people who doesn't even email back, or they email back, or this doesn't want to do it. This is, and you just have to continue to do it. And when people ask me where do you find the inspiration, I don't. Do it without the inspiration. Wake up in the morning, be bitter, be angry, hate everyone, and email those three emails as nice as you can.
1: I think you just expressed my entire life right there. Yes, but, <laughs> but it, it, but it feels like there's more. It feels like the the quantity and the speed of it has accelerated. Like I remember being in college and I had like twelve exhibitions this one year. I, I was really weird. It, this one year I was like, I need to get some things on my CV because I was getting ready to graduate. I'm like, I need some exhibitions. So I applied to like every fucking thing I could find and I ended up getting like 12 exhibitions and they all wanted the same photo, but I only had two prints of it. (laughs) So I was like fuck and so like I had to figure out a way to like juggle like this print goes there for these three months and then I get it back and I can send it to this other one and like it was a mess you know but and this stuff would never happen anymore now because of course you could just print off another hundred copies of it or you could just send the digital file straight to them and they can print it whatever right but it feels like they're more like I feel (laughs) This is going to sound so bad, but I feel I feel more rejection on more frequent basis, like whether it's social media, not having enough social media, whatever. I'm not I'm not doing enough on social media. Social media is not doing enough for me. Like you're not there's so many opportunities. So there are so many competitions, exhibitions, residencies, all these different things to apply for that. It's almost overwhelming to the point that you're like. I can't figure out what to do and so therefore I failed at applying to all of them because I missed all these deadlines because I was looking at these other things and blah blah blah, blah. and it just it weighs on me even more now than it probably ever did in the past. Am I alone in that?
0: I actually feel I became much like I I do priorities and I'm not killing myself or I mean I'm just like this is what I'm focusing on now and it's maybe Two or three projects, and this is what I'm going to do, and work making work on of the projects I'm working on, and I'm not going to do everything. Like I can't do everything. I can't aim for for everything. Social media is another thing. I always feel, and I'm reading about you know the dangers of social media. So. I always feel I'm not doing enough, and you know what? I'm probably not doing enough. It's not in my blood because I'm older. It's something that I have to make myself do. And you keep, you I get, keep
1: saying you're older. You know, we're the same age, approximately. Just so you know.
0: Okay. Okay. So I'm. I'm not old as I'm telling my kids. I'm just. We're just middle age.
1: We're just older.
0: Older in the middle. It's not so bad. I'm trying to improve, but I could probably do a better job with social media. No doubt about it. But, you know, every generation have their advantages. I had some advantages when I came out to the market, you know, in 95. And what I had then, some young people don't have today. And what they have, I don't have. I don't have their talents and instincts to social media because... It's something I got to actually only, I don't know, five years ago. So I'm doing as good as I can for my age. <laughs> it's like telling a woman, like right now, when people tell me, you look great for your age. I'm like, do I have to hear the for your age? Can it just end after the great? It's the same for me as social media. I'm doing great, maybe for my age. I could probably do better. And I sometimes worry that I'm not doing well enough with, with Instagram.
1: Well, I mean, I personally haven't seen a lot of great benefits from it. I hear people saying like, "Oh, I got a sale here, and I sold that, and all this," kind of, and it, I, it's it to me, all I feel like it's it's going back to high school, which I was horrible in high school. Like I was a total outsider recluse crazy drugs all kinds of yeah. You know, but anyways but like I was never the popular kid in high school and I feel like social media is just like a new form of adult sort of in-group out-group <laughs> popularity and I still feel like I'm an outsider no matter how hard I try so it's very depressing for many people like me
0: okay after you depressed us let me just highlight what I think is good about it Matthew
1: yes feel free
0: okay This is what I feel is good about it. First of all, I did have things, professional things happen as a result of posting and and social media, especially Instagram. But I feel that I am less afraid of being not represented by a gallery or agency. I have my followers. It's 17,000 people. I'm sure not all of them are in the professional world, but it's enough that two or 3,000 are. And then even if I don't have, and I have a wonderful gallery, Edwin Howe gallery that I love, but even if I don't have a gallery for a while, God forbid, or I don't have an agency or I'm just it gives me some freedom and autonomy to reach out to people and say, "I'm doing the sale of this edition, or I'm trying to get more assignment photographing families or whatever it is, it gives me some power and direct connection to the people who are interested in my work. So I'm trying to look at the positive. But there is a lot of negative. We just read about what it does to teenagers. uh, Instagram makes them depressed, more suicidal. It's terrible. And I'm trying to take the good and not give in to the bad.
1: Well, see, but you had the interesting balance. Like, quite honestly, you probably should be, like, killing it on social media because your artwork is all about sort of sharing your personal life experiences, your family experiences, all these, and that is exactly what social media is. Like, so, like, it and don't get me wrong, 17,000. I, I'm looking right now, 17,200 excellent, it's amazing in comparison to me. I'm not even at a thousand, so like, you're good. Uh, I, I'm impressed, so but like. For me, like on the flip side of it, like I'm a reasonably private person. I know that sounds ironic since I do a podcast and share far too much about myself, but like I don't want people to see my life. Like my life does not look photogenic and it's not beautiful and I'm not incredibly handsome kind of thing. So like people don't want to, I feel like people don't want to see my life, but your work is all about your life. So like it, it works for you. Like that, that all fits.
0: Right. I mean, it is true that in a way, you know, people even were comparing my work, which I started doing in the 80s, 86, 87 to the first selfies. I think it's different stuff, but what is a selfie versus a self-portraiture? I think the big difference and even my own social media is kind of more positive. I mean, right now I'm going through some family problems parents getting older I'm not going to share everything I'm going to share things in my own work when I publish it when it's a body of work that is ready to go out there but the social media is still I do share but it's more a way to say this is what I'm doing right now it's not a way to go deeper into who we are as human beings I mean if I'm Publishing a book like midlife, I will post a little bit about this body of work dealing with the complexities and the layers of being a middle-aged woman, but social media itself is more surfacey, and, you know, that's the problem. I mean, many times, even now I'm going through a really hard time, but I'm not going to share it. It's also not relevant It's with my parents and people are like, Oh, we're seeing your social media things are going so well, isn't it? And I'm, yeah, things are going well, but this is not everything we should remember that social media can be a little bit of a, not saying I'm lying, but I'm editing out a lot of what I'm dealing with or if I'm really depressed or I'm jealous at this artist who's doing better than me, not necessarily going to post it on social media. Maybe I should.
1: I'm envious of other artists, <laughs> not jealous. I learned the, the separate difference between those. Yeah.
0: I am sometimes very jealous.
1: Have to control myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially if I'm not doing well, or and suddenly I see I get anxiety. It's not necessarily bad because after I get the anxiety and like, oh my god, either look at where they got, look at what amazing museum show, or look at this amazing work, and I get, I get to the childish part of me, like I'm not good enough. I'm not relevant, I'm, you know, all those thoughts, but I think sometimes it gives me, after I'm freaking out, it gives me energy, but a lot of this energy, and my daughter was talking to me about it, and she said, mom, can't you work without being anxious or insecure? And I told her no, because it's part of the drive to feel like you're not doing well enough, I'm not doing good enough work, there are other people that are so talented, I'm jealous of what they have or what they got and it's terrible and I don't want to be this person, this jealous person. So let me work really, really hard so I can enjoy the work and, you know, and it's it's okay to be jealous and envious and it's okay. I'm not going to, you know, kill them or anything I've been to the army but I'm just (laughs) nothing like this but I'm just like I have to work harder it reminds me that the world in any field not only you know art the world is competitive there are always new people you have to work hard you have to bring something new you have to keep on going and the jealousy can be a good like kick in the butt
1: well, you just brought it up again about the idea of making something new. I mean, I'll be honest. I was a photographer for decades, and recently, probably about three years ago, I actually got rid of my last camera, and I don't take pictures anymore. Uh, I now sort of paint-ish kind of thing. I don't, uh, but I still use my photographs as the sort of they're still incorporated into it, so it's multimedia with photography in it, but. I kind of feel like, to a certain extent, with the sheer volume of work that I can see in the world, there are stunning images, photographs being done. I do uh, portfolio reviews for Lens Culture. They're they're anonymous portfolio reviews. I do those. I see thousands and thousands of portfolios every month. And there are some amazing works being done. And to a certain extent, it's sort of like, how can... A young photographer now sit there and go like, "Oh, you know what? I've got something new I can add that has never been done before, that's somehow unique and different. That has got to be incredibly daunting.
0: right And it's you know, even just I'm teaching photography. This is one of so many of my students are struggling with, and I struggle with it too. But first of all, there is no answer. It's hard. Everything was, was and is being photographed from the beginning of our podcast tens and thousands of images were taken. We have to think about it, but we have to sometimes put it to the side and say, and maybe new is not the word, but to say, how do I create work that reflects something very specific in me about the way I feel things, my identity, the way I'm going through things, where I am. So for me, it's a lot about being honest and specific, And then just hopeful that people will see in what I'm putting out there a unique voice. It's my voice. Yeah, I'm a middle-aged woman. I did a body of work about it. It's not very special to be a middle-aged woman. But just to talk about it may be special because it's not being talked about a lot. To photograph my own uterus, I'm like, I'm going to do it. It's something I have to push myself to do. And I try to create a body of work that is very specific to where I feel, the good and the bad and all the in-between. And this is all I can do, is just create a voice that is mine and just hopefully it's interesting enough.
1: Okay, I've got to speak, because we've talked about anxiety and all that. I've got an anxiety that I always wonder whether other people feel this. So (laughs) (sighs) I have this feeling that I'm either incredibly ahead of the curve and making something that people just don't understand yet or it's not of its time or whatever it's or i'm behind the curve so like i'm making something that is no longer relevant it was popular in fashion whatever you know five years ago 10 years ago do you ever get that feeling of like not knowing whether you're like on the bubble or ahead of the time or behind the time is that something you feel as well
0: you know when i feel it all the time, yeah. I was gonna say in
1: the mornings, when, in the- all
0: the time. I mean, this is something that I also, after many years, decided that I am not gonna wait for it to go away. I have moments where I feel you know, I know what I'm doing, but many moments that are so even feeling lost, feeling insecure, doubting what I'm doing, doubting this body of work. Sometimes it's just about, I've been through the army for two years. I'm really waking up in the morning and continuing. Yeah, this might be my worst body of work out there. And every body of work I put out, I'm, I, there are days that I'm feeling this will end my career. This will be the body of work that will end my career. This is the last one. Yet, pick up the camera and continue making work and continue making the list and think and buy a new light. If you're so stuck, I'm buying a new light. I'll buy a new lens and continue and continue and continue without waiting to feel, I know what I'm doing. I exactly know this is what this is. This project will be a unique voice about, no, I can't. I mean, sometimes I have days where I'm like, this is very important. I'm going to do this. Sometimes good images come along many times bad ones come along and in between you just have I just have to continue working
1: yeah I know I just redesigned and restructured my entire studio because I was sort of at a a, I don't like a block like I was like I I couldn't I didn't know where to go next and so I just redesigned everything and made a new layout so that I could and and now all of a sudden I'm like great tons of work to do and like so (laughs) just you know because I simply have the space to do it. Sometimes it's as simple as just like changing something in order to sort of like spark some new life into some works. Right, right. Uh, no.
0: And sometimes it's also about enduring those few weeks or few months of nothing too good comes along. It's really difficult. So years is, is not, not uh, 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 that, that would be hard. It that is would be hard, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I was in the United Arab Emirates. I do figurative work generally, and I was in the United Arab Emirates, and of course, I couldn't post on social media as we discussed right. before because of my fear of being thrown in prison. Right. So, so I, I, I have this huge gap in my CV where, like, I didn't show, I didn't do anything because, like, if anybody had seen any of the work I was producing, I could have been thrown in prison. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> and I think that's why it's so important, also, to keep chasing. I mean, we many times feel like, who needs the museums? Who needs the galleries? It can make you angry as an artist, but I think it does something that is important to keep me going, to know that I have deadlines, that I have book deals, that I have to finish this body of work because I'm going to approach this and this publishers and and get shows. And I know I have to work hard to get good things happening because... It will keep me going and I am not this kind of person like my husband and I went to art school and he graduated one year before me in Jerusalem and decided he doesn't want to be an artist or a photographer and he's doing programming and he's photographing every day, Matthew, every day for himself. I'm not sure I will be that person. If I don't have the outside feedbacks and acknowledgement and recognition, I'm not sure I will, I need the recognition. I need my ego needs this, this like food. So I better make sure it's happening. The solo shows the books, because it will keep me going. And I don't want to put myself to the test.
1: But it's really hard. I mean, okay, well, okay. I, I have not been as successful in my recent time. So since the UAE, I sort of haven't been able to get back in to the things. Cause like I had a I had a pretty good run going while I was in the United States. When I left the United States, I've had a bit of a difficulty sort of finding my footing once I've left. But how do you sort of continue to get these exhibitions and these publications and stuff? So like are you are you getting publishers coming to you saying hey we want to publish your next book or do you have to produce a body of work and then submit it like are you being asked to do exhibitions or are you having to submit proposals like what's the sort of day to day scenario of like how are you sort of funding slash programming your, your next set of works
0: I work like crazy Matthew I am a crazy person part of it is really insane I mean I work Hard, I make a lot of work, I create a lot of projects, I don't stop thinking about who to go next, who to write to, how to try to get shows. I have to say that some things are coming to me more in the last few years. And that's great. And as they come, I make sure to handle them the best I can and to make the best out of those opportunities. But I really work hard and I don't like I'll wake up at five in the morning and think about. I should do this. I should email this person. This should be a project. This it doesn't come with feeling calm and confident. It doesn't. And and the older I get, it doesn't, it's not I'm like, so now I'm 50. I'm gonna be relevant. Ah, like I'm getting even more. I think I'm getting even it's getting worse.
1: All right. <laughs> I I'm sort of to, to a point getting to the point of like, fuck, it's never gonna happen. <laughs> God damn it! I've put like thirty years of my life into this, and it's just never gonna happen. But I talk myself out of it. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's, th- it's those those depressions that come through every now and then of like, you know, yeah. how, why do I keep putting myself through this? And then you then you're like, well, the reason why is because of that one person that did buy a piece or that one opportunity that right. didn't come through. And so. Right. It's really, it's those few and far between things that make you, they keep you going that you really got to hold on to because fuck, it can be so lonely and depressing. It's
0: really difficult. And especially for people that are not coming from wealth. I mean, I come from a middle. you know, that, and maybe sometimes I think maybe it's a blessing in disguise because I have to make things happen because I have to make a living out of this. This is not some expensive hobby you know I don't I don't this is if if this is not working I have no income so sometimes it makes me very anxious but I know that it's also pushing me to to get more assignments for magazine to try to sell to to do the best that I can so I can have a successful career and and make a living pay the bills raise my two kids
1: all that comes with that Okay, so just to be clear for the listener and for myself, this is, this is your full-time job. You have no other job, no other side hustle.
0: I mean, I teach and I shoot for magazines, it's, but I'm an artist. This is, this is all that I do, and it's a lot. <laughs> I used to belly dance for a living when I was in my 20s, between the ages of early 20s to my mid-30s. But for the first six to seven years in New York, I mainly made, made my income. I was a professional belly dancer, Middle Eastern dancer, but at some point, I had to drop this because I got more success and more income from photography. All
1: right, so I don't need to know your actual like numbers of your income, but I want to know like the percentage <laughs> of like sort of the difference. So like, how much of your income comes from, let's say, like your editorial work? How much co- comes from art sales or book sales of your artworks? And teaching, so is it like 25%, 25, 25 50% kind of thing? Like what's the ratio of how much it comes in?
0: COVID changed it a little bit.
1: Which we'll talk about, yeah.
0: I would say in the past two years, half of my income is from print sales, which wasn't true before. And then there is the teaching, both the MFA program, School of Visual Arts and, and the MFA program of Lesley mm-hmm. University and some workshops that I'm doing independently or with a law's workshop or there is the teaching giving talks editorial assignments went down after covid i got a few that were wonderful and hopefully they will pick up again and books i make some money of which i'm still lucky to be paid <laughs> to publish books i don't have to but it's not a lot of money it's a few thousand dollars maybe from each book that so far maybe will change in the future but it's not it's so much work I mean it's thousands of hours of work I maybe paid three cents an hour on those books but I get some money but it's not a lot
1: yeah everybody talks about like oh I want to publish a book I want to publish it's a great esteem great thing on the CV great thing to have all this kind of, but like it's it it's a passion project very few people actually make money from a book no matter how good their book is that's
0: what i'm saying for even the fact that i make i know five or seven thousand dollars from a book is great i'm because i know many people who are paying and sometimes way too much money that they don't necessarily have to publish books so and and it is true that books are important that they make a difference that they stay forever and that maybe it's the most important venue of, of of exhibitions come and go. The room is small or big. The frames are expensive or cheap. But a book is so significant to me. And I'll never compromise on anything of my books. Because Closer was published in 2001. And it's still getting to second edition. Now some of the sells for a few hundred dollars because it's out of print. And people still have the book, and it touches people. And usually my books can be bought on Amazon for 30 something $40. Everyone can buy a book, and it's a wonderful. So I understand why we keep on insisting on books. It feels different than browsing through our websites. Um, it's one project beginning to end with the essays, with our voices, with the text, with the design. It's important, very, very important to me.
1: I love books. I am in no way downplaying yeah. the impression. No, no, I know what you're saying
0: about the pu- publishing process of it and what it has become.
1: Well, but a lot of people these days are like, "Oh, well, we can self-publish," and like I'm going to sound like a horrible snob, which I probably am, but like I don't think a self-published book is as impressive as a professionally published book like with a uh, an institution behind it or right. a you know a renowned publisher or, some, or even just a a, a good publisher it doesn't even have to be a renowned publisher right. but like having right. that is, is makes it better like I I could have self-published probably seven eight nine books by now but like I'm not going to like because it's it's just not as impressive it's not it doesn't hold that same gravitas that like a book from Style,
0: Matthew. The distribution is a big problem. That's the distribution is everything. You can make the best book in the world. How do you get it to stores in Sweden? Or I mean, yeah, I can chase some bookstores here in New York, or even in Philadelphia. That is, you know, an hour drive from here. How do I get it to every bookstore? Oh, absolutely. The distribution is key. Is key, and that's why we need the the big publishers or at least the distributors to work with that will not all, always work with a self-published book so yeah it's complicated
1: it is plus when you self-publish you're investing a ton of money in something right. that you're just with a hope and a prayer you're like maybe I'll make my money back in 10 years right
0: right right yeah
1: and almost every almost everybody i know that's done self-published books still has like a couple hundred in their garage
0: Right. Yeah. I, no offense yeah. to all
1: my friends that have books in their garage, but it's just the truth of the matter. Okay, so COVID, you brought it up. How has it affected you? I mean, well, cuz you said like did it sort of shift things so like people were more did you sell more art or more books or less? Like so what was the the change that happened?
0: So personally in terms of some family It was difficult. Some loved one got COVID and I'm still dealing with some very difficult situations, personally. Professionally, it's been maybe the best year and a half or one of the best I've ever had. And I don't have anything smart to say about it, Matthew, because I don't... I, I don't know. I mean, I just know that when COVID started, I again, anxiety, fears, I'm going to like not work, not have an income, disappear. I posted much, much more. I did a body of work that was only about COVID. Usually my bodies of work, I don't post and I don't show them. I work for seven to nine years and then publish everything. But I was photographing my life, which is something I know how to do well. And posting immediately and writing, I became very active on social media. And as a result, got a lot of opportunities to publish and to photograph at home, kind of weird commissions out of my own life and uh, sold more work by far. It was in a way, maybe, maybe the fact that I had to spend less time also on different things that had to do with the kids or social events. I was at home working, thinking, writing and focusing on promoting or just posting. I didn't even think about it as promotion, my work on social media. So it actually has been a good year. What is down is the editorial assignments. I got some amazing ones that are doing very well. I photographed the colors of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and this body of work is just having a life of its own. So I got a few, and then I photographed COVID gray hair, story for the New Yorker. So it was a series of images and it got a lot of attention. So the ones I got were big and significant, but I'm overall working less. And there is some things that were supposed to happen and got canceled. People got COVID. They didn't want to have me travel all kind of things. So I hope it will eventually pick up again. But this is down like editorial assignments overall. Again, I got a few that are great, but overall they're done.
1: As I would have expected, quite honestly.
0: The thing that is, I think, significant that got better is the ability to give talks and to teach via Zoom opened a lot of opportunities. I gave lectures in Cyprus, in Paris, in Israel. I I taught in Israel, which was so wonderful. And I'm giving workshops now via different laws workshop and others through Zoom. So then it's much easier to fill my workshop if it's 12 people and it's open worldwide. Then everyone can take it from everywhere and we get a class. I mean, it's Zoom, it has its limits, but it has its beauties and we get a class of people from all over the world in different time zones. And it's really wonderful and a new opportunity. I did teach, that was a good thing, I did some online classes for ICP. When COVID hit, I already was one of the people around who taught remotely. So I was ready to jump in. I had all the equipment and I did it already. So this is an opportunity that is happening as a result of COVID, as we all know, remote, remote.
1: As we are doing right now. As we are
0: doing right now, seeing each other and talking and chatting.
1: Okay, wait. So you brought up a topic about workshops. I love the idea of workshops. I've been asked to submit to like teach a workshop and I would love to teach a workshop, but I am sitting there frozen about like how do you even come up with a a topic to teach? Like you know, what is how do you find a way to say like the topic of a workshop is this unique thing that you can only learn from me i mean from you because right. this is your workshop you know because like i'm looking at all the workshops that are available in the world and there's some amazing ones you know the anderson ranch main media all these kinds of places fabulous workshops all over the world and i'm looking at i'm like i don't know what else i can offer What's that, you know, it's like how for you do you sort of come up with an idea of a workshop that somehow differentiates or makes it unique enough that people would want to attend your workshop?
0: I mean, there are two things that are happening here. One, I'm just trying to come up with the themes of what I'm good at. So it can be intimacy in photography and then it can refer to editorial assignments or to my own work. It can be working as an artist and shooting for magazines. How do you pull the two together? And other things that happened came to me, like Lalo's workshop approached me about doing a women-only workshop. I didn't think about it, but once they say it, they say, do you like it? I'm like, yeah, I love the idea. And they're like, what would you teach if you had the women-only workshop? So I said, I don't know. So I took a couple of days and their idea inspired me to, to think about it, I wouldn't otherwise do it. Like, how do I teach a workshop for women only? And I I came up with a curriculum, but it was their idea. And so I, I got lucky and honored that they reached out to me. And it was a great workshop. And then once it happened, or Michael Foley and I would teach a workshop about the relationship of a gallerist and an artist, how to find, how to approach galleries, all the business side, the money, the percentage. And every time we give a workshop, we have a meeting after what can we improve, how can we add things, what we forgot. Because even while we're teaching it, students are like, by the way, I wanted to ask. And we're like, actually, we don't know. Let us get back to you. And we approve the workshop. So it's, it's what I know how to teach, and it's what can be taught. I mean, I also know how to use lights, but I would find it really hard to do it via Zoom. Some things can be done wonderfully. Some things are like how to go out on an editorial assignment and work with the environment, uh, like in on the field. Not so great to do it on Zoom. But other things like talking about intimacy, looking at people's work, talking about the business, and about... the Financial aspects, contracts you know there are many many things that can be done through Zoom wonderfully
1: do tell what's the what's the what's the thing that you found that a lot of people don't understand when it comes to like contracts and those kinds of stuff
0: everything that I didn't understand I mean some people you know there's so many things that you just don't know that are so obvious once you start working I mean my first job was for British Vogue, one of my first jobs. And I didn't know I had a budget for assistance, for model. And I had all my friends work for free. I was like, guys, you got to help me. I was 20-something, so I had a lot of young, beautiful friends. And only later, like a year or two later, I went to London and I went to visit British Vogue. And all the people were like, we couldn't stop laughing about the fact that you didn't charge us for anything. But they also didn't tell me. They told me your fee is 400 a day, but usually there's so many expenses to rent equipment. Even something like this, when you get an assignment, pay the models, pay the assistant, the equipment, the car rental, the food, the lunch, the drinks, the parking. The, put all of this into your budget. So just to put this, my Word document, share screen, look at all of this, this, for me, took me a few years just to know what can be done there. So it's not one specific thing. It's especially when I was going to school, no one was teaching us back then from 91 to 95. There was no how to write. There was nothing like it was like purely art. Today, schools are having more classes like this. And I tell students, don't be, don't be afraid to reach out to other friends, to ask around, to post on your social media, I got this assignment. Anyone has any ideas, you get a lot of information. You just have to know that you don't know and find out. So there is, you know, even me still today, as I go to other fields, a traveling show, I'm thinking about something right now. What do I get? Who is paying the fee? Is there an artist fee? I learn as I go, but it's important to know that I don't know and I have to find out and to find out to reach out to the people who've done it. And if they don't know, they will connect me with someone else and to get the information.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to keep that good, strong network going. Like that's one of my biggest um I wouldn't say regrets, but like one of the things that I'm very bad at because I've, I've as I said earlier, I've moved a lot and I've transitioned right. between continents and stuff. And keeping that network of people to, that help you and support you is one of the probably one of the more important parts of the creative industry. Very
0: important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was my mistake. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I always try to help people when they need me. And be very generous and open with my information. I'm like sending them my contracts. I'm sending them my budgets, my invoices, how I charge for different things. And I had friends say, oh my God, I wrote to you and I'm writing back with with seven attachments. But some of it is because I know I'll probably need them. It's like we better help each other and support each other. And I'm also very nice. As you can see, I'm very nice. (laughs) getting the help when I need it. But people have been really generous and helpful. This is something I have to say, as cruel as the art world is and difficult, I don't think if I reach out and, and ask people, I'm, I don't know, I'm trying to find out about this or that or a gallery, or publisher, people will usually really help. Artists help one another. They will not be there with me for the whole many years of, every step of the way. This is my husband and maybe, you know, this is very few in our lives. But when you're writing to people and you're saying, I need help, usually they will help you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I find photographers to often be very competitive and sort of catty towards one another as a general whole. Like, I mean, I've known a few that are very open and, and giving and understanding. And I think of myself that way because I don't believe that I'm actually in competition with anybody else, like, period. Because each of us do our own unique thing, right. and our own unique style. But I found that a lot of them in return were very catty and, and sort of competitive towards me. And I, and I, I never appreciated that very much. I'd, I'd, and I find it to be very specific to photographers. Like, painters are not catty towards one another and competitive towards one another and sculptors and printmakers. None of them are. But, boy, photographers in the arts world? Really. Really? Competitive. Yeah. Sadly.
0: I am not sure I feel the same way. We disagree. I mean, I feel there is a lot of competition. I think what I'm talking about is when I acknowledge... My need. People will not suddenly help me. Even good friends will be like, "Oh, I thought last night that I want to help you get a social." This is not realistic. But when I'm telling people I'm having a situation, I just lost. I don't know. I got dumped by my guy. Like, this is what I need. So if I'm making what I need specific and acknowledging my neediness, or I mean, I am in a situation here and I need your help, people will. Usually help.
1: It's actually great advice. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 And and maybe something women. I don't want to generalize the genders, but maybe something women can know how to do better.
1: I was going to say it might be a gender thing, also. Uh,
0: definitely. Definitely.
1: Male photographers, right? Or
0: male in gener- in general are less ready to admit that they were. Kicked out. I mean, you know, when art and commerce dumped me, I was not hiding it. I was just crying to everyone who met me. I'm like, "How are you terrible? and ah, crying and crying. My agency dumped me. Uh, there is the good and the bad of it. I'm mean, not to make people like feel like they have to fix it for me, but to say, it's really difficult. I am, I'm, I'm very insecure and I'm trying to think about other agencies to, to approach. So I think this is also definitely something to do with gender and and with being less of a, I don't need anyone, I'm successful. It was never my way. It was really never my way.
1: Well, and it seems to be doing well for you. So I am in no way yucking your yum on this.
0: And And also I have to say there are different ways to do, to have a successful career. Some people hold a very strong facade. I just can't do it. So I might as well just be me. But I definitely see people who, even if things are not going well, will be, I'm doing very well. This has been a wonderful year, even if it's been the worst year. And sometimes it works for them. Whatever works for each of us, there are many ways to run your life and careers. So I'm not saying this is definitely right. It's it's right if it's right for you.
1: It's hard because, like, I try my best not to be a poor me, like sitting around going, like, "Oh, right. life's not oh, hard." Yeah, right. no, I'm, I'm not getting enough exhibitions. I'm not so. Basically, right. I don't want to sound bitter. <laughs>
0: I know, and it's. Uh, I think, I think, I let myself every once in a while. It can't be the everyday whining. This only my poor husband gets. But when something big happened, like I lost an opportunity, then I can let myself be miserable. But then only for a little while. Can't keep whining for too much because I'll I'll wear them out.
1: Well, it's hard. It's also because then people don't want to work with you because then you're just right. better. Like so like you can't right. you can't continually be that person. Um I mean because oh, I know right. plenty of Definitely. those people.
0: Right. But you can also be honest without being too needy or feeling sorry for yourself that you can we can keep to ourselves, but just be this is what happened, this relationship if it's a gallery of didn't work out. I'm trying to find new places to approach any idea. So it doesn't have to be, can you be my therapist for the next <laughs> three months? It can just be honest, you know, and be like, I'm trying to find people to approach. Do you have one name? And also not to ask people for something unrealistic. Can you introduce me to everyone you ever worked with and help me write the proposal. No. Can you give me one name or maybe someone you can connect me to? To keep it realistic and and what you're asking from people, and be willing to give back when when they need you and when they need help, and you know, so
1: yeah. always yeah yeah. I've got this relationship with this collector, and she it, she always comes to me and is like, "So how are things? Are things okay?" And I you know I I play the stoic, I'm like, "Things are fine. Like you know things aren't great, but things are fine." Because basically, I know she's waiting for me to say no, things are shit for her to go, (laughs) okay, well, I'll buy a piece from you now. (laughs) She's waiting to be a savior to come in to, like, so she's waiting for me to have a bad time for her to be able to go, oh, well, I'll buy something from you now.
0: If it makes her buy, I would go for the, yeah, just different, different people are different. I think some people are happy to go into those deep conversations and share what they're struggling with. And some people just find it burdening. You know, many times I go into very formal meetings, but 10 minutes later, because of the specific person, we're really talking about real things and sharing vulnerabilities and failures. And sometimes it's really not the right person and the right. So it's also about different encounters with people and how, how they go, who they are, who you are, what is happening in this connection with another person.
1: Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm waiting until there's actually a need to sell to this lady. So like when I actually have a real diamond
0: call with tears.
1: I, I'll call her up and be like, "Okay, yeah, things are shitty now. Can you please <laughs> Buy a piece now." <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Holding that trump card. No, pun- you know. So, yeah. All right. So let's wrap this up. Um any any sort of advice because you're also a teacher. So something that you think that the next generation is not thinking about enough or something from your own career that you're like, oh boy, stay away from this thing because I fucked this thing up?
0: I think I can't advise them, to be honest. I can you know, give a lot of information and wisdom and, and look at the work and give my honest opinion, but in some ways they are feeling the world they were born into better than me. They're doing things differently than me and they're doing great things using the tools that they have. So the only advice would be very general, just be persistent, keep on working, keep on creating, keep yourself motivated. Also, sometimes the advice that still is true is that not only insisting on being an artist is definitely what's right for you. Yeah. You can become a photo editor a curator or a social worker or Life is, is big and it's full of, of ways to grow and develop. And this is true for if you're 95 or 21. But how to work in today's world, maybe they should advise me.
1: A- amen. I sort of feel that way sometimes <laughs> too. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Matthew. Uh, thank you for hosting me and inviting me and for this honest conversation. Um, I love the wise fool. We had some foolishness and some wisdom, I hope.
1: So I love that you figured out how we I got the title. It's good. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad used to always tell me I was a sophomore, and which translates from Latin to, to wise fool. So I'm um, being sophomoric or to a sophomore is a wise fool.
0: Aren't we all wise and
1: fools? Absolutely. That's why I titled it that, and that's that's what I am every day. <laughs> All of us. I know. It's so sad. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And that's it. I hope you are enjoying and learning from the podcast as much as I am. I've learned about many things I did wrong in my career and many things I need to put more effort into in the future. I hope this podcast has inspired and assisted you in being more successful in your creative endeavors. If you like the podcast, we would appreciate a five-star rating and a nice comment would be greatly appreciated. I would like to thank Conceptual Citizen for their five-star rating. Please tell your friends to listen and subscribe also. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014. The audio was edited by Jakub Czerny, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunstcentrany i Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or you can find more information on Instagram at the wise fool pod or simply on our website wisefoolpod.com.